welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Blessed evening, lovely people. I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and other selves. And with all the changes that are taking place in the world, from one end of the earth to the other, remember that the energy emitted by each and every individual has an effect on everyone else and all of creation. And nowadays, we don't just hear about the effects in the news media, but collectively, we are seeing, experiencing, and feeling the effects of each other's thoughts, words, and actions all over the world. And with the World Wide Web, the speed of internet, and social media, the connection is apparent. Imagine, you, me, all of us, as points of light energy linked around the entire Earth. Invisible to our physical eyes, maybe, but let us visualize it with our single eye. We can instantly connect with someone or to some place almost anywhere in the world without even being there. And for many, it is possible without the use of technology. So, as we gain clarity about our connection to the one true and eternal source, therefore our interconnectedness to one another, let us remember that we, again, will all return to that same source when we leave this earth. So, in the meantime and in between time, since we are here together, y'all, energetically uniting, each one affecting the other, positively or negatively, through our thoughts, words, and actions. Let us focus on love, joy, and compassion, and raise the collective vibration, regardless of the resistance, representing the eternal presence of God within us, our mighty I Am Presence. And it is the presence of God that matters, for it is the one true and eternal source from which we all originate, and the one true and eternal source to which we shall all return one day. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. Of piety and true philosophy. Hermes, both for the sake of love to man, and piety to God, I now, my son, for the first time take pen in hand. For there can be no piety more righteous than to know the things that are, and to give thanks for these to him who made them, which I will never cease to do. Tat, by doing what, O Father, then, if not be true down here, may one live wisely? Hermes, be pious, son. Who pious is, doth reach the height of all philosophy, without philosophy the height of piety cannot be scaled. But he who learns what are existent things, and how they have been ordered, and by whom, and for whose sake, he will give thanks for all unto the demiurge, as unto a good sire, and nurse most excellent, a steward who doth never break his trust. Who giveth thanks, he will be pious, and he who pious is, will get to know both where is truth, and what it is. And as he learns, he will more and more pious grow. For never, son, can an embodied soul that has once leapt aloft, so as to get a hold upon the truly good and true, slip back again into the contrary. For when the soul once knows the author of its peace, tis filled with wondrous love, and with forgetfulness of every ill, and can no more keep from the good. Let this be, O my son, the goal of piety, to which if thou attain, thou shalt both nobly live, and happily depart from life, for that thy soul no longer will be ignorant of whither it should wing its flight again.
This is the only way, my son, the path that leads to truth, the path on which our forebears, too, did set their feet, and, setting them, did find the good. Solomon smoothed this path, yet difficult to tread for soul while still in body. For first it hath to fight against itself, and make a great dissension, and manage that the victory should rest with the one part of its own self. For that there is a contest of the one against the two, the former trying to flee, the latter dragging down. And there's great strife and battle dire of these with one another, the one desiring to escape, the other striving to detain. The victory, moreover, of the one or of the others is not resemblant. For that the one doth hasten upwards to the good, the other settled downwards to the bad. The one longs to be freed, the others love their slavery. If now the two be vanquished, they remain deprived of their own selves and of their ruler, but if the one be worsted, tis harried by the two, and driven about, being tortured by the life down here. This is, my son, the one who leadeth thee upon the thither path. Thou must, my son, first leave behind thy body, before the end of it is reached, and come out victor in the life of conflict, and thus as victor wend thy way towards home. And now, my son, I will go through the things that are by heads, for thou wilt understand the things that will be said, if thou remember what thy ears have heard. All things that are, are then in motion, alone that that which is not, is exempt from it. Every body is in a state of change, but all bodies are not dissolvable, some bodies only are dissolvable. Not every animal is mortal, not every animal, immortal. That which can be dissolved, can also be destroyed, the permanent is the unchangeable, the that which doth not change, is the eternal. What doth become forever, forever also is destroyed, what once for all becomes, is never more destroyed, nor does it ever more become some other thing. First God, second the cosmos, third is man. The cosmos, for man's sake, and man, for God's. The soul's irrational part is mortal, its rational part, immortal. All essence is immortal, all essence, free from change. All that exists is twofold, not of existing things remains. Not all are moved by soul, the soul moves all that doth exist. All that suffereth is sensible, not all that's sensible, doth suffer. All that feels pain, doth also have experience of pleasure, a mortal life, not all that doth experience pleasure, feeleth also pain, a life immortal. Not everybody is subject to disease, all bodies subject to disease are subject to to dissolution. The mind is in God, the reasoning faculty is in man. The reason is in the mind, the mind's above all suffering. Nothing in body is true, all in the bodiless is free from what's untrue. All that becomes, is subject unto change, not all that doth become, need be dissolved. All in the heaven is free from change, all on the earth is subject unto it. Now for a body that can be dissolved, there are two times, the period from its sowing till its birth, and from its birth until its death, but for an everlasting body, the time from birth alone. Things subject unto dissolution wax and wane. The matter that's dissolved, doth undergo two contrary transformings, death and birth, but everlasting matter, doth change either to its own self, or into things like to itself. The birth of man is the beginning of his dissolution, man's dissolution the beginning of his birth. That which departs, returns, and what returns departs again. Thrice Greatest Hermes, Volume 3, by G.R.S. Mead. Isis Unveiled, Chapter 11 
And here we may as well mention the works of Hermes Trismegistus. Who, or how many have had the opportunity to read them as they were in the Egyptian sanctuaries? In his Egyptian mysteries, Iamblichus attributes to Hermes 1,100 books, and Seleucus reckons no less than 20,000 of his works before the period of Menes. Eusebius saw but 42 of these in his time, he says, and the last of the six books on medicine treated on that art as practiced in the darkest ages, and Diodorus says that it was the oldest of the legislators Nevis, the third successor of Menes, who received them from Hermes. Of such manuscripts as have descended to us, most are but Latin retranslations of Greek translations, made principally by the Neoplatonists from the original books preserved by some adepts. Marsilius Vicinus, who was the first to publish them in Venice, in 1488, has given us mere extracts, and the most important portions seem to have been either overlooked or purposely omitted as too dangerous to publish in those days of auto de fe. And so it happens now, that when a capitalist who has devoted his whole life to studying occultism, and he has conquered the great secret, ventures to remark that the capilla alone leads to the knowledge of the absolute and the infinite, and the indefinite and the finite, he is laughed at by those who because they know the impossibility of squaring the circle as a physical problem, deny the possibility of its being done in the metaphysical sense. H.P. Blavatsky Psychology, according to the greatest authorities on the subject, is a department of science hitherto almost unknown. Physiology, according to Fournier, one of its French authorities, is in so bad a condition as to warrant his saying in the preface to his erudite work Physiologie du système nerveux, that we perceive at last that not only is the physiology of the brain not worked out, but also that no physiology whatever of the nervous system exists. Chemistry has been entirely remodeled within the past few years, therefore, like all new sciences, the infant cannot be considered as very firm on its legs. Geology has not yet been able to tell anthropology how long man has existed. Astronomy, the most exact of sciences, is still speculating and bewildered about cosmic energy, and many other things as important. In anthropology, Mr. Wallace tells us, there exists a wide difference of opinion on some of the most vital questions respecting the nature and origin of man. Medicine has been pronounced by various eminent physicians to be nothing better than scientific guesswork. Everywhere incompleteness, nowhere perfection. When we look at these earnest men groping around in the dark to find the missing links of their broken chains, they seem to us like persons starting from a common, fathomless abyss by divergent paths. Each of these ends at the brink of a chasm which they cannot explore. On the one hand they lack the means to descend into its hidden depths, and on the other they are repulsed at each attempt by jealous sentries, who will not let them pass. And so they go on watching the lower forces of nature and from time to time initiating the public into their great discoveries. Did they not actually pounce upon vital force and catch her playing in her game of correlation with chemical and physical forces? Indeed they did. But if we ask them whence this vital force? How is it that they who had so firmly believed, but a short time since, that matter was destructible and passed out of existence, and now have learned to believe as firmly that it does not, are unable to tell us more about it? Why are they forced in this case as in many others to return to a doctrine taught by Democritus 24 centuries ago? Ask them, and they will answer, creation or destruction of matter, increase or diminution of matter, lies beyond the domain of science, her domain is confined entirely to the changes of matter, the domain of science lies within the limits of these changes, creation and annihilation lie outside of her domain. Ah! No, they lie only outside the grasp of materialistic scientists. 
But why affirm the same of science? And if they say that force is incapable of destruction, except by the same power which created it, then they tacitly admit the existence of such a power, and have therefore no right to throw obstacles in the way of those who, bolder than themselves, try to penetrate beyond, and find that they can only do so by lifting the veil of Isis. H. P. Blavatsky But, surely among all these inchoate branches of science, there must be someone at least complete. It seems to us that we heard a great clamor of applause, as the voice of many waters, over the discovery of protoplasm. But alas! When we turn to read Mr. Huxley, the learned parent of the newborn infant is found saying, in perfect strictness, it is true that chemical investigation can tell us little or nothing, directly, of the composition of living matter, and, it is also in strictness, true, that we know nothing about the composition of any body whatever, as it is. This is a sad confession, indeed. It appears, then, that the Aristotelian method of induction is a failure in some cases, after all. This also seems to account for the fact that his model philosopher, with all his careful study of particulars before rising to universals, taught that the earth was in the center of the universe, while Plato, who lost himself in the maze of Pythagorean vagaries, and started from general principles, was perfectly versed in the heliocentric system. We can easily prove the fact, by availing ourselves of the said inductive method for Plato's benefit. We know that the Sadalian oath of the initiate into the mysteries prevented his imparting his knowledge to the world in so many plain words. It was the dream of his life, says Champollion, to write a work and record in it and fold the doctrines taught by the Egyptian hierophants, he often talked of it, but found himself compelled to abstain on account of the solemn oath. And now, judging our modern-day philosophers on the vice-versa method, namely, arguing from universals to particulars, and laying aside scientists as individuals to merely give our opinion of them, viewed as a whole, we are forced to suspect this highly respectable association of extremely petty feelings toward their elder, ancient, and archaic brothers. It really seems as if they bore always in mind the adage, put out the sun, and the stars will shine. H. P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 13 I think it would be very well, of course your constant contact with the messengers and myself makes it very easy, but keep charging yourself with the explanation of any question or point that comes up in mind. Keep charging your own feeling world with the explanation, the revelation of all that is required in your stream of activity. Then if that is not quickly revealed clearly to you, many times just a contact of the radiation of the messengers will call it forth, and just like that the whole clearness will stand forth. We are going into such definite action that I want each one to feel their great ability, and each one to come to the rescue or assistance of another. If for any reason they are not quite harmonized, just each one refuse to give expression to anything less than the perfection of anything you want. One thing I never have mentioned, but I thought I should today. It is so easy for little feelings to get started. If someone likes something and somebody else does not, well, give praise and thanks for that which gives them harmony in their liking of the thing, but don't oppose it, because that is where, if you saw when an argument reaches the physical how much that added upon people in their feeling before it goes into the outer expression, you would say, why, I will correct this now. All should be a great happy, joyous, harmonious action of the law. One can be happy and joyous without getting too personal. 
that starts a feeling within each other. Some of these things sound very simple and unimportant, but they are far more important than you realize in gaining the great victory of complete harmony within the feeling world, and it is so imperative. But you are so near now where you have absolute mastery and self-control, utilize every opportunity to gain that mastery. Don't blame anyone for anything, but just simply arise in firmness and simply say, now here is another opportunity for my self-control and mastery. It does not make any difference what the condition might have been or intended, but your self-control and mastery is of importance. Please do not feel at any time any particular concern or disturbance at the more violent action of people who would seem to oppose. It means that that is just that much nearer the end of it. No one has any power to oppose this work. No one has any power to oppose you so long as you are in accord and harmony with your life. But discord, irritation, and disturbance in your feeling world is not in harmony with your life stream, which is harmony, happiness, and perfection. So the moment something starts, just annihilate its cause and effect right then, for as I have said so many times, people think it is persons, places, and conditions. It is not. It is just a condition to be mastered, no matter what the cause of it is, and you as the heartbeat of your life stream, have the power and authority to do it. Try to feel this definitely and how important it is. Beloved Saint Germain I tell you dear ones, it is not anything to do with your world, what someone else does, but complete harmony within your feeling world is everything. There is no provocation justifiable in human contact to cause you to be irritated or disturbed, and don't, anyone, Hold disturbed or irritated feelings within you because I know at the moment it is there, but I try earnestly to help you dissolve it. So if you will let go of it, I will do the rest, or at least the most of it until you have the full power to do it yourself. When you have gained this point of victory, you have no idea how I feel, how I want to see you so quickly completed. I am never the slightest concerned if you make mistakes or slip sometimes. That has not anything to do with it, but if I see you begin to release feelings to each other, then I have to stop that because it would gain momentum and destroy definitely the purpose you are working for. Therefore, if I prompt you to give obedience, then it is so quickly dissolved, because I would not mention anything unless it was imperative to the full achievement, but I do not want you to be delayed anymore. That is the great point. If I did not know definitely you are at the point where you can go forward with tremendous power and speed, I would not keep after you. But I have to do it because we do not want to go fidgeting around here for months and doing what we could accomplish in a few days. Therefore, I rejoice so tremendously with you in that determination within each one to maintain that self-control and harmony. Beloved Saint Germain <music>